Welcome to the More Deals, More Money podcast. If you're in property and you are always looking for more deals or more investors, then this is the show for you. In this show, we talk to deal makers and deal funders to find out the nitty gritty from them about what makes deals stack and what makes deals work. So in every episode, I'm going to be delving deep with different guests to share their knowledge. If you like how this show is and you want to subscribe, then please do hit subscribe so you'll never, ever miss an episode. If you do get one bit of advice from this that you think, that was good, I can put that into my business, then do me a favor and please do share this with a friend. So today's guest is somebody that I have a lot of respect for. I've been watching their, them on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn since since I started, to be honest, and they've got a really incredible business. And uh, we've exchanged some messages um, over the many years that I've been doing property now, and uh, it's great to get them on. Um, and that guy is Arsh Alahi. How are you doing today, buddy? Hi, Vez. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. You're the first person to ask me that first. Ah, brilliant. Well, it's, it's nice to be nice, shall we say. Yeah. So you having a good day? Yeah, it's all. It's always a busy day. So I'm in the office. I've sat here in the office. I've had to turn off all the phones or redirect them to places so that we don't get disturbed. So I'm hoping that this will be able to add a lot of value to your listeners. Yeah, I am sure you will add so much value. One of the reasons why I wanted to get you on. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, why don't you give a brief background of who you are and how it came to be that you are where you are today? Okay, so uh, yeah, my name's Arsh Ilahi. Um, some may know me for being a columnist in magazines such as Your Property Network um, and the HMO magazine. Others may know me from having spoken on the speaker circuit. Others may just know me as being quite a prolific property investor and deal sourcer. So there's my kind of claim to fame, shall we say, as well as having wrote a book, which is which is an Amazon bestseller called Boom, Boom, Bust and Back Again. So that's kind of an indication as to a little bit of background about me. So where it all started was 19 years ago. Uh, I left university, so I'm 30, 39 years old as we speak. And when I left university, I wasn't really sure of the direction that I was going to go in. Now, uh, you could say I was quite fortunate because – my parents had a bit of a background in property. They weren't property professionals, shall we say. They, they literally, I would say, winged it. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because my father's first love was engineering. So he owned an engineering company. And from some of the profits that he used to generate from that, every occasionally he used to buy a property. So he ended up with a small portfolio of around 20 properties. And... It was when I left uni, I started looking at how that was going because I didn't really have a passion for engineering, nor did I really have a passion for property. But I thought, well, he's getting old. Let's see how I can help him. And I noticed that very quickly the portfolio was actually not – it wasn't losing money, but we were losing a lot of money in terms of rental income from people who were defaulting and people who were just absconding Mm -hmm. So I decided to take that as a role uh, and see what I could do to increase the value of those properties and increase the income, um, which was quite an easy task because we, we moved uh, away from a certain segment and we actually housed quite a lot of housing benefit tenants in Wolverhampton. Yeah. So as we sit today, we've got near enough the best part of 1,100 tenants. So it's a, it's a decent size. We're, we're running a decent size operation. So back then we had 20-odd uh, properties. Now we've got quite a few, quite a few more than that. So it's over 100. I don't know the exact number. I don't count properties anymore. I count tenants. Yeah. Um, and so we've still got lots of single lets. We've got lots of HMOs varying from a four-bed HMO going right up to a 23 and a 40-bed HMO. Gee, uh, bed HMO, that just sounds like my worst nightmare. Believe it or not, mate, it, uh, the management of a four bed and a 40 bed exactly the same. It takes on average about an hour a week. Yeah. So uh, what I tend to do with the larger HMOs from six upwards, I tend to dedicate a, here's my first tip to anyone that's listening actually, 
if you're a HMO owner and you want to systemize this so that you're not getting calls. Now, you, you've got to imagine that with the best part of 1,100 tenants, you would like to think that our phones are ringing off the hook with maintenance and this and that and the other, but it doesn't. Mm. You know, I employ, uh, hang on, we've got one, two, three, four. There's five of us in the office, and that, that includes... Uh, sorry, there's six if you include my brother. My brother looks after the letting side because we also own a letting agency as well. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't get involved in the day-to-day -day management. So we've got two administrators and we've got um, two lettings guys. And then there's me and my brother. So there's six of us in total. So in that, in that respect, um, we've systemized it quite quite well in, in the point that in any of the HMOs that we get, we try and allocate one of the tenants as a head tenant. Yes. So the way that I try and do it is that they do all the viewings. They take all the calls for that property. So for each property, so for argument, say if I put an advert on, let's say spare room, that spare room advert will now, uh, the calls will direct to that head tenant in that property. Now that head tenant will take the calls, they'll do the viewings, uh, and then after the viewings, provide them that the people are good enough that's where we'll invite them into the office and sign them up. So we really only get to meet them at the last part. You know, the tenant gets to meet the tenant, uh, sorry, the head tenant gets to meet the tenants. They kind of determine whether they like that person, whether they can live with that person. What we find is that because obviously uh, some tenants want to view in the evening after seven o'clock, it doesn't kind of fit in with what I wanted as running around trying to do viewings at seven o'clock in the evening. And therefore, because the tenant, the head tenant already lives in the property, they can do viewings right up to nine o'clock at night. And that's what we found that probably some of our best tenants have come where we would have previously have missed them because our office closes at five and then we don't divert any of the calls unless they're emergency maintenance calls to any of the mobiles. So in that respect, we're probably missing out on a lot of people that have probably worked all day and now looking for property in the evening. Yes. So in that respect, it works really well. In the 23-bed HMO, we've got a guy called Martin. He's been with me uh, since 2006. So he's been with me 13 years in the property, and we treat him extremely well. You know, Christmas time, we, we treat him extremely well. On his birthdays, we treat him extremely well. Christmas, uh, sorry, Easter, Valentine's, if there's any public holiday, he gets a bit of a bonus. Mm. So not only does he get a reduced rent, um, but he, it's pretty much almost like he lives there for free. But in the same respect, he makes sure that the other 22 rooms are fully occupied all the time. If a tenant starts to give notice, um, he puts, uh, we put the advert up and we direct everything to him. He takes the calls and it's pretty much one in, one out. And it has done so for many years. Wow. Um, so do you give him, do you give all the head tenants then like a, a reduction in the rent or do you give them a bonus no, for doing this for you? No, no, so it's a reduction in rent slightly. We're not talking massive. We're talking possibly like 10, 15 pounds a week, which is equivalent to like 40, 50, maybe even 60 pounds a month, yeah. plus bonuses for letting rooms. So the, uh, the reduction in the rent is to accommodate all the calls and the viewings that they're going to take. However, they get, a, uh, they get a bonus for every room that they let. Wow. So and that tenant has to be there minimum of six months. Otherwise, the next one they have to let for free. Yeah. So we've got lots of things in place like that, and it works extremely well. Like can, you can imagine in a 23-bed HMO, last thing I'd want on is 23 tenants trying to contact me about this, that, and the other. <laughs> I direct it all to the head tenant who lives in the building, and then he's the only person that contacts me if there's an issue with the property. So like Monday just gone, uh, there was uh, an issue where one of the drains had backed up and filled up. Yep. So uh, next thing that I do, he's got all the details for the drain man, the electrician, the gas guy. And these guys have all got a limit as to how much they can do before they need to contact me to authorize it. Yep. So uh, I just said to Martin, call Keith, the drain guy. Keith, he called him up, arranged it for when Martin was going to be there did it that same afternoon and it was all done and I didn't lift a finger. I really like that. And I, I suppose as well with them, you know, with Martin, for example, being that head tenant, doing the viewings, when the tenants actually um, do move in, they've already had all the interaction with Martin, so they know it. Absolutely. That's because the you've got to remember, 
they're not they're not moving in with me. I'm not going to live in the property, but Martin is. So I want Martin to be able to choose people that he's going to like, that's going to create that harmonious um, environment. And that's exactly what's happened. So in the 23-bed HMO, Martin is, oh, he's mid-50s now. Yeah. Uh, and believe it or not, all the other tenants in that property are roughly around the same age, between 45 and 60. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we've made... We took a rule back in 2008 that in all of our HMOs, we weren't going to accept anyone under the age of 35. Wow. Uh, and that's why we can sleep easy because the guys at 35 years old plus have kind of got their parting days behind them. And it kind of helped us that when the local housing allowance came into play, yeah, when they started to look at the one-bed rates and the other rates, that you had to be over a certain age to get the one-bed rate, and that's what we're trying to attract. And that kind of almost, it's almost like a, you know, it fell into our lap. It wasn't something that we planned, but within the very short space of time, we thought, you know what, this works extremely well. So our general client base, if, if the truth be told, is 35-plus male. I'd say 95% of our tenants in HMOs are male and they're over 35. Wow. So it, it works extremely well. And generally speaking, if you, if you ask any of our tenants as to why they're living in a room, bedsit or a shed or whatever you want to call the terminology for a HMO, generally speaking, it's the guys that have been kicked out by their partners. Yeah. And when, uh, when the partnership breaks down, when the partnership breaks down, naturally, it's always the male that leaves, especially if there's a family setting. It's always the man that leaves. And in that respect, the first thing that they look for is something that they can just call their own space. And generally, if you get that kind of clientele, you'll find that once they've been burned, they will never go back in that position. So even if they have a girlfriend in the future, they won't move in with them straight away. They probably won't move into them for, for quite a few years. And that suits us perfectly. Yeah. Strangely enough, you mentioned that I had a tenant in one of, one of our HMOs and uh, that that exact thing happened to him, and he uh, he left the family home and then moved in into one of our rooms for ages. He was there, and then he fell in love, but wouldn't move out for ages. And then he did move out, and then it went wrong. And then he came back to me, and he did that about two or three times. And now, actually, he's like, "I'm never doing it again. I'm staying here forever." Um, and he is, yeah, he's in his late forties. Yeah, so I mean, in that respect, that suits us. You know, the guys, the guys, they know, they know the situation in terms of how we operate, etc. And we've got a real good bunch. We've got a real loyal client base. A bit, and because we treat them well, you know, Christmas time, they all get a little something off us. Um, and we pretty much, well, I'd like to say we pretty much, especially the admin guys, they all know all our tenants by name. Uh, and we, we always invite them into office. We've got High Street location in Wolverhampton. And we always say to our tenants, if you've ever got an issue, just come in and have a coffee and have a chat with us. And that works extremely well as well. That face-to-face -face human interaction. So it's not a case of you're, still, you're just a number in a portfolio. You're actually a person in our portfolio. And we don't treat it as a tenant. We treat you as a customer. Yeah. So that, that's kind of how we operate, and it works really well for us. I love it. I love that, that they're treated like a, like a customer instead of a tenant because um, then they feel, they feel valued, et cetera. Um, so shall we move on to your, your favorite deal then? Give us the, uh, the sort of top-level information, and then we'll delve into sort of how you found it. Okay, so can I just give you a bit of background about my deal trading? Uh, yeah, of course you can. Okay, so when we talk about my favourite deal, we could talk about we could talk about so many. So, do you want to talk about first uh, one of my best properties that I bought and I turned it around, or is it a development deal that you want me to talk about? Is it about is it a property that I just traded and negotiated with a vendor? Which one? What? What? Do you, what do you want me to cover? Should we go with the one where you negotiated with the vendor? Because I think a lot of people listening will get a lot from that especially with someone from your experience of dealing with vendors you know i think people often get scared uh, and they're not quite sure what to say to vendors so i think if we 
if we pick that one, we'll be able to uh, to talk about some good things about some tips to, to speak to vendors with. Okay. My first tip, if you're going to deal with a vendor, never mention the price. Never, uh, Well, never mention the price from the outset. Yeah. The price should be the, pretty much the last thing that you discuss. And people get this wrong. You know, this is the art of negotiation that we're talking about here. And what normally happens is that people go in straight away, they see a house for 100000 straight away, they say, okay, you know, I think I can offer you seventy, yeah. And they go straight for the jugular. And what instantly the owner will say, well, you know what, to be fair, I'm not sure if I really like this guy. He's coming a bit too aggressive. And I've learned this from experience. I've made this mistake many, many years ago. So when I started out in property in 2000, and I wanted to be that guy that was buying property at 25, 30% below market value. Yeah. And we put adverts in the paper, you know, at the back of the paper, we buy any property for, you know, our slogan was very simple. We buy any property and land for cash. Can we buy yours? That was our strap line. We advertised in pretty much every, um, every magazine and every form of media within the West Midlands. Our budget back then was near enough, the best part of 100 grand a month. Whew. So that was our marketing budget, 100 grand a month. So we were spending money in newspapers, you know, specialist magazines. Believe it or not, we actually sponsored quite a few supermarket car parks. <laughs> So in, uh, in Wolverhampton, you've got the Asda, which is right next door to the Molyneux football ground. Wolves are doing extremely well, by the way. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah, I'm big, I, I, like, I like Wolves, so uh, they're doing really well. So what we did is that I approached Asda, and Asda said, I said to them, guys, okay, you know, this is who I am, this is what I do. You know, what, would you be interested in me, you know, advertising or sponsoring the car park they didn't want me to advertise but they were happy for me to sponsor i don't know why but it worked extremely well and we were paying them i think it's 10 grand a year or something like that and it, all it was is a little banner just on exit yeah uh, hope you've had a great hope you hope you found what you wanted i can't remember what the slogan was hope you found what you wanted by the way if you are considering selling your property uh, we buy properties fast.co.uk would be interested in having a chat with you. And that is the name of my company, webuypropertiesfast.co.uk. Mm. So we kept it easy, we kept it simple. And we found that from that one car park, we were getting 30, maybe 40 calls every Saturday. We actually had to open our office on Saturday and Sundays just wow. to accommodate the volume of calls that we were taking. So we created almost like Saturday, a weekend deal clinics. Yeah. So that was really, really good. And, you know, back then, there was one thing that we were constant. We were after below market value deals because we were buying for our own portfolio. Um, so moving forward, there's lots of deals that we probably should have taken advantage of, but we didn't, just purely down to naivety. So going back to what I said, I straight away, if it was worth 100 grand, they kept saying, well, what are you going to offer to us? And I thought, well, you know, I only want to go out to a property if I think it's a deal. So therefore, I'm going to offer you, you know, 70 grand over the phone. And if they say, yeah, then we'll probably go out to it. Straight away, I, you know, I noticed that lots of people were saying, mm, too low for us. You know, I need a little bit more. And I didn't really progress any further. I so, said, sorry, you know, I'll go up to 75 and that's my loft. Uh, and we were seeing lots of people saying, sorry, that's not for us. So I, strat I moved our strategy so that we stopped becoming a one-trip pony. Yeah, we talk about being a one-trick pony. We talk about giving them options as to what we can do. So properties that were in negative equity, properties that you know where they needed to move abroad, or properties where we could simply control or even offer full market value and add value to the properties. And once we did that, and once we moved our mindset away from the value of the property and the price of the property to more so about finding the solution to the owner and finding a real meat for the scenario and the situation of the owner. That's where the real deals came. Um, I'm just trying to think which one was the best deal that we ever did, which was direct to vendor. We've got, so, I've got so many, you know, over the, over the years I've traded thousands of deals, tens of thousands of deals. 
Um, so I'll tell you about the best deal that I've done because I, my mind's got blank. So in my office in Wolverhampton, uh, we've got a high street presence in Chapel Ash in Wolverhampton. Over the road, there was a funeral, di- a funeral directors. And this is quite well public, uh, publicised because I, I wrote about this in numerous uh, property publications. So over the road to me, there was a former funeral directors. And it had been boarded up for as long as I could ever remember. And one day, I just happened to be driving past and I saw an auction board go up. And as soon as I saw the guy going up the ladder erecting the board, I called the auction company. I said, okay, what's the guide on it? What is it? What's the guide that goes? Just four more former funeral directors, no planning, no issue, uh, nothing that they could tell us. You couldn't even conduct a viewing because the property was structurally, uh, was, was structurally knackered or was not in a position where you could go and view. And they said that the guide is fifty-four to fifty-eight thousand pounds. I thought, okay, straight away. I said, I'll go in at the top in fifty-eight. They go, unfortunately, no, we're not. Um, it's got to be massively in excess of the guide for an offer to be put forward. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go up to seventy, but I'll exchange today twenty-eight day completion. Bear in mind that we're dealing with an auction, so we can talk numbers. Mm. Um, they came back vendor says no or whoever was selling the property said no it was a receiver that I actually found out it was a receiver that we're actually buying off Um, they came back and they said if you want to do a deal today it's got to start with a one that was their exact words it's got to start with a one so I had my father God bless him he was in the car with me at the time and straight away, I said, you know what, 100 grand, I'm in. That's my exact words to the auctioneer, 100 grand, I'm in. I'll come and drop you off 10% exchange funds now. I'll give you my solicitor's details. I'll bring the banker's draft, and let's get the deal done. And within the space of about 20 minutes of that board going up, I just negotiated 100 grand on it. Now, my, my dad, who's no longer with us, um, he said, son, he goes, are you stupid? And I go, what do you mean? I go, that building's been sat there empty for almost like 20, maybe 30 years. We've drove past it every day for 30 years and never seen a soul come out of it. He goes, you've just offered pretty much double what they're asking for it. You know, you've acted irrationally. And I thought, okay, maybe I've made a mistake here. And I said, Dad, I don't think I have. I said, let's look at the building from the outside. And by all means, you can't, you know, if you were to watch this now, you're more than welcome to Google number five to nine, Chapel Ash, Wolverhampton, Whiskey Victor 3, zero Tango, November. So that's the full address. And the building was a two-story building. And on either side of the building, there was three and a half story buildings and I said to my dad I said worst case scenario we can go up a one and a half stories and we can add value that way he goes how much is that going to cost you've done no costings you don't even know what you got it's got no planning you've got no you've got no indication that you're going to be able to do anything he goes you've made a really irrational move I felt like being told off if I was honest (laughs) Uh, we're talking back in uh, we're not talking a million miles. Um, we're talk- probably talking 2013, 2014. So it's only a few years back. And I thought, okay, well, I've just agreed to exchange. He goes, you haven't given the money yet. You know, they'll keep marketing that property until you turn up with the bank's draft. I said, you know what, Dad? I said, I've got a good feeling with this one. I'll go, worst case scenario, we don't exchange. Or, you know, we exchange, but we don't complete and we lose 10 grand. He goes... 10 grand's a lot of money. And to him, 10 grand was a lot of money because the most he ever paid for a property was two and a half grand Ooh. back in the you know, yeah. late uh, 60s and 70s. So 10 grand for him was a lot of money. So I said, no, you know what? I'm happy to go with 10 grand. Uh, so I went in, uh, dropped the 10 grand deposit off. We exchanged contracts there and then. Uh, I picked up the phone to the planners. Straight away, as soon as I came out the auction house, 
picked up the phone to the planners and said, guys, okay, I've just exchanged on this property. I want to know what my, uh, I want to speak to a planning officer so I can have a look at the options as to how we can bring this back into use because it's been sat empty for 30 years. This, the planner got on the phone to me. He goes, uh, thank you, Mr. Ilahi, for letting us know that you've just exchanged. He goes, do you mind if you, uh, you give me your address? I said, yeah, 30 to 32 Chaplash, Wolverhampton. He goes, we're going to have to serve you a notice to bring the property up to standard. And that was the first thing that he said to me. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought, what have I just bought into? Because I thought, is this going to be a deal? Is this going to be the property from hell? Um, quite ironic because obviously it's a form of funeral directors. Uh, but anyway, um, I thought, okay, let's get moving. I said to a planner, I said, let's not be hasty here. I said, you know, I've called you off my own back to let you know that I want to bring this back up to standards. Now, if you want to work it, let's work it in a way where we create a, a real win-win scenario. Let's create the relationship and let's get, let's see how I can, bring it back up to standard and bring property and, you know, providing that we can get some residential in there, let's provide some houses for the city. Mm. He goes, okay. He goes, yeah, let's meet initially. So I also arranged to meet the chief planning officer for the property at the same time for our meeting. So I sent him an email, which is quite rare. And he, he agreed to come to the meeting just purely because the property had been sat derelict for so long and he wanted to know what my plans were. So my architect, uh, my architect, my planning advisor, uh, we had the chief planning officer and the duty planning officer came to my office. And I said, okay, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to have offices on the ground floor and I'd like to have some apartments above. And they said, well, how many apartments are you looking at approximately? And we've kind of done a, a brief drawing prior to that. And we had drawn up approximately 10 and the chief planning officer goes, I don't think you're going to get 10, but I think, you know, if you space them out and make the other ones bigger, we'll, we'll potentially give you eight. And we worked our figures. Remember, I only paid 100 grand for this piece of land. Mm. And bear in mind that we're in quite, uh, quite high street location. Straight away, I thought, yeah, okay, that's maybe even less than 10 grand a plot. Yeah. The apartments alone would be worth circa 100 each. So straight away, our land value or our gross development value is eight flats at 100 grand each. That's 800 plus whatever the ground floor is. And we reckon that the rent on the ground floor would have been between 15 to 20 grand a year. So that would have probably made the value of the ground floor circa between 150 to 200 a year. So we had a gross development value of a million quid, providing that we could get planning and something that I only bought for 100 grand. It's not a bad deal, that, is it? Well, it gets better. It gets better. So what happened is that we started drawing the plans. But one thing I forgot to mention is that we're in a conservation area and the building was listed. So um, I said to the guys, I said, the building's in structural need of dem uh, demolition. And they go, sorry, we're not letting you remove the listing. We're not letting you to do it because it's some conservation. So we started working again with the chief planner. I said, what do we need to do? I want to work. I want to do something here. You've obviously shown a keen interest in it. Tell me what you want. He goes, go off and get me five structural reports to say that this property needs to come down and we'll consider it. Structural engineers, I called five structural engineers and we managed to get them all singing off the same hymn sheet that this property was in need of coming down. And as a result, we finally, it's the only property in Wolverhampton history of heritage to be able to remove the listing for listed and conservation. So we managed to get that removed. But also on the back of the, one thing that I haven't mentioned is that on the back of the building, we also had enough land to build some houses. Mm -hmm. So when we put the when we put the planning application for demolition and construction of commercial on the ground floor, eight one bedroom flats above, we also put in planning for six two bedroom townhouses to the rear. Wow. So now the townhouses were going to be worth circa around one fifty each. So six of those that's going to give us another. 900,000, so we've now got a gross development value of 1.9 million on a 100 grand purchase. My father couldn't believe it. 
<laughs> he goes, if my father couldn't believe it, he goes, did you know this when you put the offer in? I said, I knew about the front part. I didn't know about the land because no one could see it. The gates, the gates were closed and no one could see behind. So that was the cherry on top. And you could say that was probably lucky. But I knew that we were going to do something on the front facade. So we got planning. We had to go through three lots of planning. One for the uh, one initially to knock down. The second one was to build the commercial and the flats, and the third was for the three uh, for the six lots of houses to the rear. And planning was granted. Planning was granted for commercial on the ground, eight one bedroom flats, and six two bedroom townhouses to the rear. And believe it or not, none of it had parking. Wow. And we managed to. We managed to uh, negotiate uh, section uh, uh, section 106 to zero. We managed to negotiate no parking facilities, just purely because of location and sustainability. Yeah. And when we when we got planning, next thing that we sold the site. We I sold the site. the site on with full planning. Traded site full planning. So it took us approximately about two and a half years to get through all the planning, go through all the objections, uh, all the bits and pieces. We had to keep going back and forth, back and forth. Um, we got the first lot of planning. That was great. Then we had to go for a second. That takes another three months. We got that. Then we had to go for a third, uh, back and forth, and then also just get some building regs in place and negotiate all the, um, negotiate all the materials and the, what we we're going to put because we had to bear in mind we we're still in conservation area. Yeah. Um, but that, in, in that respect, we then went off and sold it. You know, we could have built it. We could have built it, but some of the build costs were coming in at just over, you know, 1 to 1.3 million. Uh, and bear in mind that we'd probably spend, best part, another 50 grand, between 50 to 100 grand on professional fees. So now with the purchase and the professional fees, we're in about 200 grand plus the build, which is about, let's say, 1.3 we're in at 1.5 and if we got a gross development value circa around 2 million quid we could have still made some decent money so we could have made about 500 grand on it but we decided to trade it and we sold it for 330 uh sorry was it 330 or 430 so 330 or 430 we made a couple hundred grand on it just by turning it without doing a single thing on it and you didn't have the risk of the build either Risk of the build, it was a difficult build because we're a high street location and we were worried about access, we were worried about utilities and supplies. I should have talked to you about another deal, actually, another commercial deal that we did back in 2003 where we bought a car um, a car showroom off Mitsubishi. Well, do you know what? If you've got time, I've got time to run through that one with you. So, okay, here's another one. So uh, back in, I think it was 2003, 2003, 2004, we bought a, uh, a car dealership showroom off Mitsubishi. Um, and we paid a decent amount of money for the site because it was in prime location in Wolverhampton. So we went off and got planning. We got planning for, I think it's 24 uh, detached dwellings because back then we, we also had a house building company as well. Yeah. And just as planning comes through, we had a call from the, uh, the chief land buyer from um, Aldi, supermarket Aldi. Oh, man. And they came in and they said, we've been trying to buy this site for a while, but we couldn't get on with the owner. So he goes, are you interested in doing a deal subject to planning? And we said, we'll be interested in deal, but it's not going to be subject to planning. If anything, it's going to be unconditional and you've got to move quickly because we, we were about to start getting onto site. Um, so they came back. And within the space of a month, they had exchanged on the site. Now you could call this luck. They exchanged on site where they gave us a million quid on top of whatever we bought and spent. So that's that's definitely the best deal that we did because they don't come along very often. They don't come along at all. Yeah. No, you've got to be. That was just happened to be luck, right place, right time. The stuff that we do with auctions, you know, pretty much. And the stuff that we do with planning game is stuff that we do pretty much on a daily or monthly or yearly basis. We always look for land and we look to add value and either trade or sometimes we'll build out. We just finished a small development of six apartments in Wolverhampton. And again, that was on with an agent that we negotiated, added value, but we actually built those out. We retained for our own portfolio. 
Mm. But there's lots of scenarios where I've bought back gardens, pieces of land, got options on them. Um, we've done options. We've done uh, planning games. We've done assisted sales. We, we buy them. We throw them into auction with and without planning. So there'll be some that we don't do any work on and sell straight on. I bought an old church in Dudley in West Midlands, agreed 70 with the vendor. Our architects did some basic plans, but we didn't go for the planning. And we just threw it into the next auction with the benefit of the drawings. And we sold it for 135. Yeah. So, you know, we, we we're quite creative when we're looking at it. And, you know, I, I suppose one of the things is the skill that I've, I've got quite a creative eye. I can, when I see something, I can kind of get the indications that I know what it's got to be and where we've got to be. So that's where I'll go to my architect. This is what I want to see here. Where and that's how we add the value. Where do you think that creative eye comes from? I don't know. Here's the all honesty. Uh, it's, I think it, you can learn it. Obviously, you can learn it. You can learn it by going to speak to developers and speak at, you know, spending some time with land managers. And But it's, it's just something that I've... It's probably because I've been surrounded by property from a very early age, you know, walking around since four years old, helping my father with his portfolio and his properties, uh, working with him every weekend since I, since the moment I could, uh, could walk. Yeah. Um, so there's, I've, I've been, I've grown up around it. I've grown up around my father being an engineer and his ability to create parts out of you know, blocks of wood and steel. So when I originally started, I would just see a steel block and then I would then see the end product and he would have created that. So I suppose, there was part of it that was already instilled and inbuilt. And then the rest that I've learned along the way, you know, I've had to learn about planning law, planning legislation. Had to, I've had many arguments with planners and, you know, gone to committee meetings. So they've never always flown through. Uh, but we've always, you know, with my architect that we've got in place, we've got a hundred percent planning success record, which is quite cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, you know, we, we, we choose our battles. We choose our battles. We had one, uh, we, we had one uh, where we bought the back garden off the vendor. And then the vendor was actually, when he saw what we put on the back garden, he was the one that was objecting to everything. <laughs> so, you know, we had to, that was quite an interesting one because... He was my best friend when we were buying the uh, buying the piece of the land off him. Yeah, and then as soon as he saw the planning application go in, and we were the legal owner of the land, he was the person putting in all the you know he was the one rallying around getting the petition saying we don't want any see any back garden developments and this and that and the other, and he requested that we had a badger a badger report, an archaeological report, and this and that, and he was. He was making up all kinds of claims that there's lots of wildlife there and, yeah, crazy. But we got through it. We got through it. We got the planning. We got a bungalow on the back of his garden. And the land that we bought for 25 grand, uh, we ended up selling in auction for, I think it was 123 or something like that. Yeah, it's a good deal. So, yeah, but, yeah, these are little things. It's never always going to go swimmingly. Same, same thing with HMO, same thing with property in general. Anyone that says that it's always gone their way will unfortunately be lying to you. They will, yeah. You will come across some bits and pieces and you'll come across some challenges and they're the, that, they're the things that kind of uh, make you or break you. And for me, it's things that make me. When someone says that I shouldn't be doing it or I can't be doing it, that's the thing that spurs me on to actually go off and do it. Mm. In and you are testament to that and you're doing that. So wonder what do you what do you think it takes to be successful in property then? Resilience. Yeah. Resilience is the key because you know, uh, I see lots of people that go on training workshops and they go off and try a strategy. And if it hasn't worked for them within the first ten minutes or within the first month or the first two months, they give up. Yeah. Now if I was to give up on every time someone said no to me, I would never have got started. You know, back in year 2000, when I was 20 years old, uh, and I had agents shut the door on me, I got kicked out of many houses. You know, I literally got kicked out of many houses for offering them too low. Yeah. I remember one property where the, the guy 
we sat down. I'd been around his property. He was my best friend when we were walking around, showing me all the features. As soon as we sat down and I told him my price, he didn't even say anything. He just pointed to the door and he walked me to the door and shut, slammed the door in my face. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I've been, I've been in all kinds of scenarios. But you've got to have that resilience to be able to say, you know what, okay, that, yeah, dust it off, we'll go again, we'll go again and we'll go again. And, you know, even to every day right now, we, we still get tested. Uh, just let you know where we are right now. I, I trade on average around 500 deals a year. So when we say trade, uh, I'm actually the owner of the UK's first property app. And it's called the Property Investor app. So I launched it in April 2019, and within the first year, we've had 10,000 people download it. Well, we're not even a year in. We've had 10,000 people download. You can find it on iOS, Apple devices, and um, Google Play for Android devices. It's called Property Investor, and we've created uh, our, what I would consider our version of Rightmove, but only for property investment deals. Yeah. So this could be below market value deals, rent to rent deals, lease option deals, development deals, uh, HMO deals, and you know these are all things that we've packaged. We've gone out, we've negotiated, packaged, and put on the app, and they're ready to uh, they're ready to sell and ready for people to buy. Now the reason why people like that is purely because we've presented it in a manner which is almost like a business in a box. Yeah. So. You know, the app is completely free to download and we found that the massive intake and what it's done, it's moved us away from being a small trader to becoming a worldwide trader. We're now getting interest from uh, from people from Tokyo, Japan, China, Australia. We've had people from uh, America approach us and say that they want to buy. So we're having to adapt our systems uh, in accordance to make sure that we're not becoming a vehicle of money laundering or anything like that. Mm. So these are all new challenges. These are a business challenge, but the app has allowed me to do that. But I've only been able to do that because I've been resilient to see it through through so many years. Yeah. I've seen all the deals. I've understood the structure of the deals. I've understood the negotiation. Off the back of that, I've built a successful business off it. Mm. And so, can, so if I wanted to put a deal on, on that app, how do I go about that? Okay, so at the moment, as it stands, we're still very much in quality control stage. So you can't upload an app. You can't upload your property to the app straight away. Just yeah. because we want to make sure that the the deal is as it suggests, and we want to make sure that we're not putting a load of duff deals on the app. Yeah. So initially, you'd have to email it over to us. We are working on an uploader, so we've got an uploader being built. Uh, but at the moment, you'd email it over to us. One of my guys would then very quickly appraise it and say, it's a deal or not. If it's a deal, it goes on and we sell it. Generally, we sell stuff within you know, 48 to 72 hours, to, so between two and three days. Um, and if it's not, we'll say, you know what, here's the point. Here's why I don't think it will sell and why it won't go on the app. Uh, and these are the reasons. Here's what I think you should do. Shall I say, well, perhaps we should look at the angle of negotiating it down this way or negotiating it down that way with lots of scenarios where properties would come to us that as you know purchases that are not viable as purchases that we've managed to then structure into stuff like lease options or a rent-to-rent scenario yeah so you know that's the aim for me for 2020 is to try and hit approximately a thousand deals i'd love to hit a thousand deals this year but that's a very big ask. But in the same respect, we, we've got the platform. We're speaking to agents up and down the country. And our aim is to become the biggest deal trader this country's ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's a good goal. It's a tough goal, but it's, it's interesting. But you, this kind of stock that we're seeing is phenomenal. And, you know, the feedback that we get from the app, first question that someone always asks is, is this deal real? Which is always a good feedback to have because basically they've never seen anything like this and second thing they ask is how are you managing to negotiate such a good deal um and you know that's just come from years of experience and pushing on to make sure that we get the right deal so if you are listening at this deals exist everywhere the one thing i'd say is the biggest tip that i'd say to you is that you've just got to be 
receptive to the idea of someone wanting to do business with you. Now, for me, if someone says that they want to do business with me, I'll never knock it back. I'll listen to it and I'll see, is it going to be worth my while? Um, and how much time is it going to require from me? And do you know, like someone approach me about a thermostat that wanted me to become the face of a brand new HMO thermostat. And when I looked at the margins that were involved and how much time they wanted from me and how much input they wanted from me, it was a great product. But from a return on investment of time, it wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a great product because the margins were quite low. So I'd love to get involved in anything and everything, but time restricts us with that. So you've got to work on the things that make you the most money or bring you the best return. Mm. And the same with property. When you're looking for a HMO, does it tick all your boxes? Mm. And if it doesn't, it, that, that's not a problem. Just go and find another one um, and just keep going and going and going until you find one. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast that, you know, maybe I was lucky or I was lucky, but I think by putting yourself in a position to do the deals that you've done leading up to that has put you in that position to be able to do those, those bigger sort of luckier deals, if it were. Absolutely. I, I was reading, I was on holiday over Christmas um, 2019. I read a book. Uh, do you mind if I mention it? It's a, it's a, it's a okay. book that I just found. It's a friend of mine that actually wrote it. It's called Brick by Brick by a guy called Paul Bassey. Yeah. Uh, Paul Bassey, I think, off last count, it's got to be worth the best part of a half a billion pounds. And he's become a good friend of mine just from me reaching out to him uh, after reading the book. And uh, one of the lessons that I learned from the book is that everyone needs to be able to be taken seriously. You need to do that one deal that everyone talks about. Yeah. And that will put you on the map. Now, the, the land deal that we did with, um, with Aldi, uh, um, was it Aldi or Lidl? I don't know. I, I get those two confused. Aldi or Lidl? I'll ask my brother if he comes in in a second. He normally pops in. Ah, hopefully he'll pop in in a sec. I'll do a little. But anyway, uh, that put us on the map as a developer. Uh, and then also uh, the, the funeral directors put us on the map as a trader. And people will come into us and they're saying, Arsh, okay, I can't believe you got planning for that many units. Yeah. And that was just vision. That someone had the option, just to give you an example, on the funeral directors, another property investor in Wolverhampton had the opportunity to buy that funeral directors at £42,000. And, and they turned it down because they said that the property needed too much work. They couldn't see beyond the structural repair. Yeah. For me, it was never about the building. It wasn't about what it is now. It was, what it, it was always about what it could become. Yeah, and seeing that. One of the um, one of the questions I'd really like to ask you is, um, what do you do to relax? Oh man, if you ask my wife, she says, "Do you ever relax?" And I don't. If I'm honest, well, I tell her I do because I like running. I go running. So my, if you were to look at my diaries a week, Monday evening, I run webinars with my uh, with my mentorship group so every monday between seven and nine we look at different ways to source deals we actually find deals every evening uh, every monday between seven and nine yeah so that's like a live deal sourcing session and then tuesday i go running in the evening from seven till eight uh no so from half six till eight wednesday i swim uh thursday i run from um half six till eight friday is date night and then Saturday and Sunday for me is all, I have no agenda for the weekends. I yeah. said to my wife, that's the time where you decide what we do, where we go, how we do. So that's completely up to her. So, you know, we'll go somewhere. It's always kid related because I've got a very young family. As we speak, my, my two daughters are six and four. Um, so it's all about them, what they want to do. So one weekend we could be at the park. Next weekend we could be, we could be I don't know, something daft like, um, I'm just trying to think 
could be picking up leaves or part of their homework. It's, I'm very family orientated. So when I'm ha- when I'm doing it, when I'm at work, they see me as Mr. Lahi. When I'm at home, I'm Daddy, and yeah. that's the yeah. I have to make that switch, and the switch is when I'm driving home from the office. I have to move my mindset from I don't care what's happened in the office during the day. The moment I pull up on my drive, I'm now Daddy, and the first thing that my wife does is that as soon as I walk through the door, I hand her my phone. Yes. I hand her my phone, and it doesn't matter what calls come in, unless it's really urgent. Uh, when I say really urgent, let's say a tenant a needs an emergency, then that's fine. But other than that, if it's something that can be dealt with, if there's an email that's come in, you know, because we can all read emails, and sometimes email can put us in the wrong frame of mind. Yeah. And that's happened to me. So I've seen an email and solicitors wrote to a solicitor as, a, you know, with regards to a deal or whatever. And they said, oh, they're asking for this. I'm thinking, well, why have you done that? And instantly I think, oh, man, okay, shouldn't have read that. So I removed that by saying to her, here's my phone. As soon as I walk through the door, here's my phone. Don't let me read it. You know, this is my time with you guys. So we'll watch TV. We'll go to the cinema. We'll do what everyone else does. Yeah. You know, I'm asking people like you that question um, just because of the responses that it, it emits. It's just amazing. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy because, you know, I try, I try and work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and that's where, that's where I want to be, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and I don't want to work beyond 5. I've got to that point where, really, if I didn't want to, I, didn't need, I don't need to come into the office, but I've still got that drive and that hunger to do more. Now the aim is to my 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 pattern is now shift from instead of buying HMOs, we buy blocks of apartments. Yeah. So buy blocks of apartments, and my aim is now from moving from buying properties to building businesses. So the business, the app, is my baby. So that for me, I want to see that grow to a point. To you know, if you look at us on the app store, we're listed fifth under Right Move, Supla on the market. Purple bricks, and we're fifth, and that's within the space of a year. So, if we can, if we can achieve that within one year, it'd be interesting to see what we do by year three. Especially with with that resilience that that you've got and that drive to to push this app forward, uh, I think it, I know it will. I know it will be a, a success. Um, and um, yeah, I wish you all the best. And I'm going to download the app as soon as we get off this podcast. Um, I'm going to download it and I'm going to have a look for it. I'm going to sign up uh, and hopefully one of my deals will be good enough to get on it. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're always looking. We're always, one of the things that we're after, we're always looking for deals. Um, always looking for more and more deals. Um, but, you know, if anyone that's listening has got a deal and you want to send it across, forward it over to deals at propertyinvestorapp.co.uk. Hmm. I think that's that's probably the best sort of place to to end this podcast. Um, and I know you're a very busy guy, so I'm going to let you go. But before I do, if anyone listening to this wants to get in touch with you, uh, send you a deal, or do anything, what's the best way for them to to get in touch with you? You're more than welcome to go to my website, which is arshilahi.com, which is a r s h e l l a h i dot com. You might find it strange, but you actually find my personal mobile number on my website. Always happy to have a chat. Always happy to speak to anyone that's in property. You've got an issue or you want to have a quick chat about a way of structuring a deal, etc. More than happy to try and help as and where possible. I'm probably one of the most approachable property guys out there. Mm. I think that's amazing. And I'll, I'll put all of the links below as well to that so everybody can... Uh, to can get that so Ash thank you very much for for coming on no problem thank you very much for the invite I've really enjoyed it I hope the guys that are listening to this take back uh, take away some nuggets uh, and we'll go from there